Thanks for listening to the Grace First podcast. If you want to know more about us, head on over to gracefirst.church. Or if you're in the Wichita area, come visit us Sundays at 1015. Well, life is full of eye-opening experiences. These experiences range from the shock of going on a bad date to the shock of adjusting to a newlywed life or bringing home a new baby into your life or discovering that your kids are now teenagers and that it's impossible to keep your fridge stocked. But one of these eye-opening experiences for me took place when I was dating my wife, April. Uh, In July of 2008, I came home to Hawaii from uh, uh, my deployment in Iraq for a short two-week R&R break. And as a bachelor, I lived a pretty simple life. My roommate and I split a two-room condo, and my room was Spartan. It had a bed, it had a dresser, and a desk. And that was it. And most of my clothes were provided by my fashion advisor, who at the time was the U.S. Army. When I came home, I was shocked to find that my room underwent a makeover, clearly with a woman's touch, a woman named April. My roommate had uh, led her into the room just before I arrived for a little surprise makeover, and by little, I mean a total makeover. (laughs) My manly wool blanket was replaced with a much softer blanket, The scent of Old Spice was replaced with flower-scented candles. And my field knife and my military trinkets, like empty brass shells from World War II and Korean War, were placed on doilies. (laughs) Now, I don't know if you know what a doily is is for the younger generation, but this is a doily. And these are the shells that I was talking about. And I came to the room with these placed on just like this. (laughs) There were doilies everywhere. And I could hear the screams of my empty shells saying, get us off of these doilies. (laughs) And that's when I knew that going from a bachelor life was going to a married life eventually was going to require some big changes. It was an eye-opener. Now, all joking aside, when I saw this, I was very happy, and I thought it was really funny and really cute. And it was refreshing to see something with a feminine touch other than what I've been used to, which was just Iraqi dirt. Going from a single man to getting married was an eye-opening experience for me. I was blind to the fact that marriage was going to require some adjustment. And I knew it in theory, but in reality, it was an eye-opener, just like it was to many of you. Well, the Gospel of Mark is full of people who had eye-opening experiences through their encounter with Jesus. These experiences range from the deaf hearing, the mute speaking, and the blind seeing. This morning, we're going to see some of these blind people, those who are spiritually and physically blind. As we walk through the text in Mark chapter 8 this morning, We're going to encounter the following people. We're going to see the Pharisees, the disciples, and a blind man. And the common theme that threads all of them together is their blindness. Most physically blind people lose their sight later in life, but some are born with that blindness. Since much of how we learn is through seeing, 
For those who are born blind, it's difficult, it's difficult for them to learn things that we take for granted, like chewing. Even a simple act like chewing food has to be physically taught and guided. But because they were born this way, they don't know anything other than a blind lifestyle. In other words, they don't know that they are blind until they can understand the concept of blindness and somebody tells them and reveals to them that they are blind. This is also true of spiritual blindness. But the difference between physical blindness and spiritual blindness is that all of us are born with this spiritual blindness. And until this truth is revealed to us, we do not know and will not know that we are blind. There are video clips you may have seen of blind people who are healed through medical procedures, and when they can see for the first time, it is truly an amazing sight. Nearly half of all the blindness in the world today can be cured with a 10-minute surgery with our modern medical technology. To these who see for the first time, it is literally an eye-opening experience. But spiritual blindness cannot be healed, even with the most sophisticated medical advancements. And if you, if you continue to live in spiritual blindness, the result will be death and eternal separation from the source of love that is God. It is a condition that we're all born with that can only be revealed and healed by Jesus himself. So turn with me to Mark chapter 8 as we continue our study in Mark, and let's do a deep dive into this study. Last week, Dale shared the the wonderful message of Jesus feeding the 4,000. And one part that really stood out to me was that even though the disciples had participated in Jesus' miracle of feeding the 5,000, they still did not believe what Jesus could do. Verse 4 of chapter 8 is a clear indication of their lack of understanding and lack of faith in the power of the person of Jesus. We read in verse 4, his disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? I don't like to use the word dude, especially in sermons. But to the disciples here, I must say, dude, you just did this like two chapters ago. This should have been a no-brainer for them. Where do you think you're going to get that much food? The bread of life is with you, and he is able to provide for all of your needs and all the needs of the thousands of people. So after having fed the crowds of the thousands twice, will the disciples finally get it, get that Jesus is the Messiah? Well, let's find out. Well, join me in verse 11. We're going to read from 11 through 13. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. I want you to circle that question. And to test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. Here we see the first group of the blind. And it's the first point in your outline if you'd like to follow along. It is the Pharisees' blindness revealed. Jesus revealed the blindness of the Pharisees here. 
Notice how Mark described the Pharisees' intent. The words came or came out, the words to question and the, the word to test, they all indicate an intent that is emphatically set against Jesus. Their coming out to Jesus is a deliberate attack as if in military rank. And their questioning more closely means a dispute or an argument against an opposition. And their demand for a sign is not with the intention to be convinced of his messianic office, but they're testing him to publicly discredit him. I remember as a young man in the army, I was trying to share the gospel with three of my colleagues who were militant atheists. Now, these were men who in my unit that I knew very well, and we had spent a lot of time together. We spent day and night preparing for operation and for deployment, and so we had a really good relationship, and we could talk about just about anything, including our faith. And they knew that I was a Christian, and I had shared about Jesus with them in the past. So one day, when we were all together in a tent, they started questioning me and saying this, Sir, how can you possibly believe in this Jesus stuff? How can you say that there is a good God when there is so much evil in this world? When we're getting ready to go to war, how can you say that there is a good God? Now, this is a great question. But I could sense that their intent, and that they were not looking to better understand the problem of evil, but they were seeking to discredit my belief in Jesus. I did my best to answer their questions with, with logic and theology, but their hearts were set against Jesus. And I did not want to, and, and they did not want to be convinced of the truth, no matter what I said to them. As Christians, we must live to share and contend for Christ as wisely as possible in all aspects of our lives and with all those whom God brings into our lives. But we must be discerning. And we must know when to start, when to continue, and when to stop these conversations. Jesus is sending you out like sheep among wolves. And he says, therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. This is exactly what we see in Jesus' conversation with the Pharisees. See, he recognized their evil intent. And so he left them, as we read in verse 13. That is packed with meaning there, the, the term he'd left them. The time had finally come. Jesus was done trying to convince them. No, no more attempts to try to help them see the truth. Jesus decisively abandoned the Pharisees at that point. Their hardened hearts set against Jesus showed the state of their spiritual blindness. After revealing the blindness of the Pharisees, Jesus moves on to the next group of the blind, which are the disciples. Join me in verse 14 through 21. And I want you to listen for the terms of blindness and understanding. And I want you to highlight or circle those. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? 
Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Here we have Jesus in the boat with the disciple. Disciples, And this passage is loaded with the theme of blindness that is tied to their misunderstanding. Jesus warns them of the, the sin of Pharisee and, the, and, the, and Herod, but their conversation comes dangerously close to being a comic strip because the disciples completely missed the point that Jesus was making here. An assistant to an attorney walks into an attorney's office with two eagles on his arms. And the attorney says to him, no, I said paralegals. <laughs> now this is a funny illustration, but it's basically how the disciples misunderstood Jesus. See, Jesus was talking about sin like yeast that leads to unbelief, while the disciples thought he meant bread. My wife has been cooking some bread lately. It's something that's fairly new to us, and they have been so delicious. And a few nights ago, she showed me the bread that she was baking. It's a molasses-based bread. I, I don't even want to try to pronounce the name of it. And, and she said, hey, look at the bread. You see it in the oven. It's huge. And sure enough, when I looked, the bread had risen and, and puffed up because of the yeast, the yeast is what fills the whole bread and makes the bread rise. And in the teaching of Jesus and the apostles, leaven came to be associated with the, the permeating power of sin. The apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, he wrote this to the, the church in Corinth. He said, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? The yeast of the Pharisees and Herod in verse 15 then represents sin that permeates throughout the whole person, which leads to a hardened heart that is set against Jesus, resulting in unbelief. It is the spiritual blindness that cannot see nor perceive Jesus' true identity. And it is a spiritual state that is willing to trust in the person of Jesus. Here's a second point in your outline. Jesus revealed the disciples' blindness. He revealed their blindness. The disciples, uh, the disciples are missing the point, and they're unable to recognize the significance of Jesus' ministry and his teaching. And that revealed their failure and their spiritual blindness. Now you may think, well, the disciples were just ignorant. You know, we're like them. We're, they, they were just ignorant that they just didn't know any better. But you see, there's a big difference between ignorance and unbelief. Ignorance is simply the lack of knowledge or lack of information. It's purely associated with your faculty of ration. But unbelief comes not from your mind, but from your heart. If you go to Iran today and give your two thumbs up in ignorant bliss like a tourist, the Iranians will take that as a major insult. 
They'll likely correct you since you're a, a, a foreigner and assume that you did it simply out of ignorance. But if you're captured in prison in Iran as a Christian and you willfully deny their demands to recant your beliefs as a Christian, then you're living out the conviction of your will that comes from the heart. Ignorance is of the mind, but unbelief is of the heart. The disciples did not understand Jesus' true identity, both in their minds and in their hearts. And Jesus' line of reasoning in his rebuke, it's slightly confusing to us, partly because the disciples confused it for us through their misunderstanding. But here's how we can simplify it. He rebukes them in two areas. His rebuke first targets their rational misunderstanding of his identity, and second, their willful unbelief in his sufficiency. Let me show you what I mean. Stay with me here as I walk through this line of reasoning. The first part of his rebuke is in verses 17 through 18. He says, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Well, through this rebuke, Jesus was trying to help them understand his identity as the Messiah. Their blindness to his true nature is tied to their misunderstanding. Do you remember in the last chapter, the Syrophoenician woman, the Gentile woman, who had eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand the response that Jesus gave her in parable? That Gentile woman not only understood his identity, but also trusted that he could save her daughter from the demons. She was a Gentile, an outsider who had ears to hear and eyes to see, and the heart to trust in the Savior. Yet here the disciples, who are the insiders, need Jesus to unveil their blindness so that they can see that their one true Savior is in the boat with them. The second part of his rebuke was to help them trust in his sufficiency. We read in verses 17 through 21, the very rebuke. Don't you remember when I broke the five for the 5,000? How many basketfuls? And then uh, also the seven loaves for the 4,000. How many baskets of did you pick up? And he said, do you still not understand? In other words, what Jesus was saying to them was after all that amount of bread that you've seen me provide for all those people, are you still worried about not having enough bread? Do you not trust me to provide more bread for you when you need it? And not just bread, but for all of your needs. You see, their willful unbelief in his sufficiency is the same, rebu is the same rebuke that many of us in here this morning need to hear. Maybe there are bills that you can't pay. Maybe there, you're concerned about your future or your retirement or how you're going to pay for all of these things. Or maybe it's a loss of employment that you may be struggling with or your concerns about the near future. But here are the words of our Lord as he directed this, not just for the disciples, but also for you. Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000, the seven loaves for the 4,000? Don't you remember for the last 30 days, 30 years, and 80 years that I have been faithfully 
providing for all of your needs as your child, do you still not understand? Church, Jesus is our all-sufficient provider. And he's the one who calls his children to willfully trust in his provision. It is not your social security funds. It is not your Roth IRA or your, uh, any kind of trust fund that will sustain you in your retirement or in your life. These are means which God has used and taught you to be a good steward of his, all of his resources and his blessings. But the ultimate source of your provision is in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one whom, whom we must trust for all of our provision. Trust not in the provision of man, but trust in the provision of God. Jesus revealed the blindness of his disciples, and he tried to help them understand his identity, and he tried to also help them trust in his sufficiency. But did they get it? after they were rebuked. Well, sadly, we see in the Gospels that the disciples didn't get it even into the last week of Jesus' ministry. But there are signposts along the way that there is slow understanding, that there is hope for these disciples. We know this because Jesus points out their progress of seeing through this next encounter. Let's see this signpost that shows us where that, that progress is being made for the disciples' blindness. Join me in verse 22. We're going to read 22 to 26. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and, and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? I want you to circle that, see anything. And he looked up and said, I see people, they, they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, circle that. His sight was restored, underlined, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't you even go into the village. Here we have an interesting healing encounter with a blind man. Jesus, first, uh, for the first time, takes a man by his hand, and he takes him and leads him, and there is a two-stage healing process. For the first time, his first time attempt at healing does not result in complete healing. So what is happening here? Did Jesus miscalculate the, the divine amount of gigawatts needed to heal the blind man? You know, one comedian made a funny comment about how he wondered if, if Jesus could have miscalculated some of his miracles, like the feeding of the thousands. And he wondered if Jesus may not have known exactly what kind of bread would come out. And maybe he had to try a few different times to get the right bread for the crowd. He says, boom, pumpernickel. Let me try again. Boom, garlic knots. And then finally, boom, Jewish flatbread. Well, people who don't fully understand Jesus nor his identity would read this section in his two-stage healing of the blind man and would probably wonder the same thing as a com comedian that I mentioned. But we know Jesus was deliberate in everything he did. Nothing he did was by accident nor was there any miscalculation on his, on his part. So how are we to interpret this 
two-stage healing of the blind man. Notice the repeated theme in this section. The sight and seeing, which balances a theme of blindness and misunderstanding of the disciples. These two balanced themes of, of blindness and sight points to a lesson of process of revelation for the disciples through the blind man. Jesus showed how the disciples will gradually see and understand his messianic identity to trust him like the blind, blind man who gradually gained sight from his blindness. Like the blind man who saw in stages from complete blindness to partial sight to complete sight, the disciples too will eventually move from non-understanding to misunderstanding to complete understanding. Yet they will not see nor understand on their own. It will require the gentle Savior to take them by their hand as he did with the blind man and unveil their blindness. You see, our ability to come to faith, to both physically and spiritually see God, is a gift given to us by God and not of our human ability as we see here. Only Jesus can reveal and heal our blindness. Only Jesus can reveal and heal our blindness. We have seen how Jesus revealed the blindness of the Pharisees, the blindness of the disciples, and the blindness of this blind man whom he healed. But there is a fourth blind person, and this is the most important blind person for whom this message was intended. As Jake said in his prayer, the scripture tells us that the word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing souls and spirit, joints and marrow. See, Jesus is still encountering and transforming lives. He's transforming the blind today by his word. This story was intended for an audience to encounter him through these very words and for God to reveal your spiritual blindness if you are not already in Christ. The three blind people today we saw represent the three stages of blindness, the spiritual blindness. Maybe you have never heard about Jesus like the Pharisees, and, and like them, you may not even be aware that you're both spiritually blind but has now been revealed to you by his word. Or maybe you're like the disciples who desire to see Jesus clearly, but are still working through the mental and the emotional hurdles. Or maybe you're like the man who was once blind, but can now see clearly because Jesus has healed your spiritual blindness. So which one of these blind people are you? The scripture tells us that faith comes from hearing the message and message is heard through the word about Christ. The word of God has come to you to reveal your blindness. And if you desire to see clearly, you must turn to the healer who alone can save you. If you have never made a profession of faith that Jesus is the Lord and the Savior of your life, I urge you this morning, do not harden your heart before the Lord. Do not harden your heart like the Pharisees and reject him. But earnestly pray 
that the Lord will come to you and reveal and heal your blindness. The consequences of physical blindness will only last a lifetime, but the consequences of the spiritual blindness will last an eternity. And that consequence is the eternal separation from God in a place of conscious eternal punishment called hell. But the Bible tells us the good news. By his wounds, we are healed. By his sacrifice, we are saved. And by the blood that he shed on the cross, we have new life by faith. It is an eye-opening experience through faith in Christ alone where he opens the eyes of your heart and leads you by the Spirit. As you hear this message, if the Spirit of God is stirring in your heart and if there is any desire for you to seek healing for your spiritual blindness, ask, seek, and knock at the door of the healer who alone can reveal and heal your blindness. And he who desires to hold your hand and lead you to a quiet place, will heal you of your blindness forever. Do not go on living in spiritual blindness any longer. There's a Savior who can heal you. A Savior who lived, died, and who rose again so that you may be with Him forever. A Savior who says, come to me, and I will give you eternal rest. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was once lost, but now am found. I was once blind, but now I see.